What's up, cyber and crypto peeps? Hope y'all are having a good week. Today is March the 15th, 2019. It's a Friday, and this is episode 64 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. So it's been a little while since I've done a, a podcast, and because of that, there's about a million things I'd like to talk about. So uh, just to kind of give a rundown of of the topics, Google and their new SIM that they're creating. Some more news about two different uh, breaches that have happened. Talk about those. Talk about some more ransomware stuff with a uh, county in Georgia. Also going to talk about cloud sharing applications, specifically box.com. Also going to talk about Citrix and what happened with them. And then the last thing in cybersecurity is the latest attacks on IMAP and how you can protect yourself. On the crypto side of things, we're going to talk about London and what they're doing with blockchain ETF. We're also going to talk about the cryptocurrency wallet and dApps for the Galaxy S10 phone. More news about our good friends at Coinbase. We're doing a couple of new things. We'll talk about that. And the last thing is getting Bitcoin wallet injections and storing your wallet in your body. Kind of weird stuff, right? So I'll start with cybersecurity stuff. The Google SIM, if you haven't heard of this yet, they're calling it Chronicle Backstory. And it's technically by the company Alphabet, which is Google, essentially. But it looks interesting to see what what Google's trying to do here. And apparently you're going to be able to keep your logs forever, essentially, which no other SIM allows you to do. Uh, They also have a different pricing model than most other SIMs. Most other SIMs charge you based on the sheer volume of logs or number of logs coming in. And they've got a totally different pricing model uh, with this new Google SIM. So it's it's crazy to see that Google's getting into this kind of thing. But I think it's great for the SIM industry and cybersecurity as well because there's so many vendors that charge just crazy money for these SIMs. And, you know, a lot of times they don't give you the, the greatest value for what you're paying for. So and you got to have somebody dedicated to it that you know, that's all they do is work on the sim. So I'm hoping that Google is going to really change the game here, but obviously it's yet to be seen. So apparently they've already got uh, a few companies using this sim. Uh, companies like Avast, Proofpoint, and a truck manufacturer called Pack car and another uh, ener- energy infrastructure company called Quanta Services. So people are using it, so that's interesting. Now Alphabet is saying very much that this is not Google and they're trying to separate themselves so that people don't think it's Google and people don't think that they're going to spy on them and all that kind of good stuff. So the licensing model or the pricing model of Google's, I'm going to call it Google's SIM just because it is, the pricing model of their SIM, instead of being based on the total number of logs or log sources, they're going to base it on the size of your company, which is definitely interesting. So we'll see what comes of this. A few companies already using it, Pretty big companies there too, especially guys like Proofpoint. So we'll see how this thing shakes out over the next couple of years and see if their sim gets more adoption by other people as well. But what do you think about a, a Google sim? Do you think that they would be spying? That's always the biggest question, right? I think one of the advantages was would be to have the Google searching engine and be able to search through your logs using the Google search engine. But 
Do you trust it? So there's going to be a lot of questions around trust, I'm sure. All right, some other news here about a recent breach that happened. It's a website called verifications.io. And apparently they leaked 2 billion records. That's billion with a B. The good news here is it did not involve passwords, but still that's that's a ton of information on people. I mean, just I, I look at these every day and just... I shake my head now at this point because there's so many of these breaches. And what are we supposed to do? What can you do? So you can go to haveibeenpwned.com or a similar service and see if your information was included in this breach. You can also use apps like Dashlane who does... Pretty much the same thing as have I been pwned, and they'll check with these recent breaches to see if your email address or personal information was part of what was leaked. But in the end, you'll know that, hey, yep, it was leaked. All right, what do I do? I don't know. There's nothing you can do. You're basically just like, well, I know it happened, so I'll change my password, and then I don't know. I guess I'm just screwed. I think that's probably the biggest problem nowadays with all these companies doing data mining and keeping personal information and all these breaches that keep happening. How do we as the consumers or citizens, how do we do anything? How do we take action to make sure that people aren't going to use that information? What can we do? So it'll be a miracle when somebody comes up with something that we can use or something that we can do after these kinds of things happen. So that's just one of the recent breaches. If you didn't hear about Citrix and what happened there, (laughs) six terabytes worth of sensitive data was stolen from Citrix. Apparently it was a bunch of uh, Iranian hackers that stole this six terabytes of data from them. And the FBI came out and said that this breach was essentially because of password spraying attacks. Password spraying attacks have been getting very, very, very popular, especially with all these breaches happening, all these usernames or email addresses and passwords floating around on the dark web and even on just GitHub pages and whatnot. People can use those and do password spraying attacks. The company I'm at, we get hit with these password spraying attacks pretty much daily, and it's nonstop. Sometimes they're successful. Sometimes they're not. We have other things to help mitigate that kind of stuff. But these attackers get pretty sophisticated. They will bounce around between proxies as part of their spraying attacks. And they'll, they'll only attempt to log in, you know, two or three times from the same IP address. And they'll switch IPs, try two or three times, switch IPs. So they're just continuously bouncing around. One of the things that we did to help combat password spraying is we only allow logins from the United States, first of all. Any other foreign country gets blocked. You can't even log in to any of our cloud apps. Uh, Everything goes through Okta. It's a single sign-on solution. And the biggest thing there is two-factor. We're slowly rolling that out to everybody as well, getting more and more people on the two-factor stuff. But the biggest thing to help us combat these are blocking all the foreign countries. Yes, these hackers can VPN into a, a server in the U.S., a proxy in the U.S. Absolutely. And we can't stop everything. But we can sure as hell stop a vast majority of it by blocking all foreign countries. Now, that becomes a lot more difficult if you do business in other countries. Then you have to keep those walls open in some cases. So definitely a lot to consider when you're trying to mitigate things like password spraying attacks 
but they're getting more and more common. That's how you're seeing so many more of these breaches happening because of these password spraying attacks. They're able to get in to numerous accounts because of password reuse. And it's it's pretty rampant at this point. I mean, there's two, three, four breaches a week, I want to say, that it's been here over the last month or two. So I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon, especially with more people becoming more tech savvy, more people going to school to be an ethical hacker. There's a lot more opportunity out there and more tools that now out there, even released by the NSA that people can use. And it's published on the web. Anybody can download these tools and hack away. So it's not going to change anytime soon. So you have to protect yourself as best you can. Another topic with the password spraying attacks Threat Post had an article today, and they were talking about IMAP-based attacks, uh, password spraying attacks, and they were compromising accounts at an unprecedented scale, according to Threat Post. So I'm not surprised. Again, this is password spraying. They get all those passwords. They spray it at your, you know, Office 365. They spray it at if you're using Google. They spray it at that, and they, they get a bunch of logins, successful logins. There's not a whole lot you can do except when you're using Office 365, you can disable IMAP and POP3 if you don't use those old legacy protocols. Most people don't. If you use Outlook, Outlook does not use IMAP with Exchange. So these are definitely things that you can look at turning off altogether. I did an article probably two or three months ago outlining how to harden Office 365 environments. If you haven't read it yet, I'll repost it in the show notes. But this was one of the many things that I had in that hardening guide was to disable these legacy protocols that you're not using. IMAP, POP3, any of that stuff. Also forcing modern authentication is another thing that you'd want to do. I don't have any experience on the Google Apps side of things. So if you're using Google Apps, I would assume there's a way to disable these protocols, but there may not be, and I don't I don't know that one for a fact. But specifically, these attacks are happening on Office 365 and G Suite customers. So these password spraying attacks, at least according to this article, have been extremely high volumes between September of last year and February of this year. I can attest to that for sure. It's still ongoing, so... I would say even into March, they are still still going after at least my company pretty much every day. They're also doing what's called intelligent brute force attacks. This is where it's kind of a, it's been around for a while, but now they're using it as part of their password spraying attacks. They'll use common variations of the usernames and passwords to hope that they, you know, can guess some of the variations that you've used if you use the same password, but, you know, you change the number at the end or whatever it is. There are some things that these hackers are doing now to try to guess those passwords, even if you change the password, but you change, you know, just the end of the password. They do have new techniques to try to guess what you've changed it to. So that's why you need to change it to something completely different or get a password manager and let it do it for you. That way it's totally random. In the end, it's two-factor authentication for everything. The end. But until you can get to that point, you're stuck having to fight these threats. So anyway, I'll post in the show notes the article I wrote on hardening Office 365 so you can uh, 
learn how to turn off IMAP and POP3 for all your Office 365 accounts. All right, some more data leak news. This was about Box.com. There were apparently a whole bunch of Box.com links that were just exposed out there, and they were able to use a tool that essentially went out and guessed the URLs. They call them vanity URLs, and the employees use these vanity URLs to make it easier to remember essentially so they these are these researchers went out and found tons of information using this tool and they found passport photos social security numbers bank account information technology prototypes employee lists financial data customer lists archives of internal meetings it data vpn configurations network diagrams you name it so box.com was not immediately available for a response to this as of yet but they do also i believe now that they've they've pretty much gone completely away from those vanity urls those aren't even being used anymore and it just generates a random url for each one but all those old ones that are still out there, they're not going to turn those off. You have to manually go out there and do that. So the tool that they used is called Pandora's Box. And you can find it on our good good old GitHub, as usual. And I'm wondering if that tool, I'm sure it can, if you could tweak that tool to use it for other cloud-based sharing applications like Dropbox or OneDrive, anything like that, I'm sure it can happen. Some other stuff that came up, at work the other day we had a an account get compromised and we you know we kicked the hackers out we changed passwords we put the person on two-factor we did all these great things one thing we didn't check we didn't check to see if these attackers had created any public links via this person's account so we come to find out they created some OneDrive links from this person's account that they had compromised and those links contained a document and in that document it contained a link to a phishing site so this is where they're getting really tricky right they'll send you this email by all accounts you look at the link it looks legitimate it's going to the legit OneDrive website you go to that OneDrive website and it takes you to a document and that document then has another link in it that they want you to click to supposedly retrieve the document. So they're embedding, and they're embedding again <laughs> to get you to click on their link. But this is also how they get past your spam filter, right? So the spam filter sees these links come in. They say, oh, this is legitimate. There's nothing malicious about this. Even the spam filters that you know have sandboxes and they execute these links and click on these links in their sandboxes, It's all most of that's AI-driven sandboxes. And if the AI doesn't attack it, any sort of attack or malware or any sort of fake phishing site after you click the link, a lot of spam filters will let this through. So it's really, really tricky the way that they're doing things now. But you always have to be on your toes and you got to be ready for pretty much anything these days. So if you do use any cloud sharing apps or use Office 365, keep in mind if an account gets compromised, the hackers could have very well used some of their OneDrive stuff and created a public link. I think they actually call it an anonymous link. It's basically a link that anybody can access via that OneDrive. So look for that kind of stuff too when you get an account that's compromised there. All right, on the cryptocurrency side of things, London has started 
the blockchain ETF movement. The United States is still not there, but London is listing it on their London Stock Exchange. It is already listed now, as of right now, so that's pretty cool stuff that London's already ahead of the game there. It does make people wonder why the hell can't the United States do this? Like, let's just go. I don't understand. Let's let's get this thing done. It'll just bring more people into the cryptocurrency market. And, you know, it's more trading volume for the stock exchanges. I don't see the problem, personally. There's lack of regulation, so that's always a big hurdle. So I think that they're primarily waiting for some better regulations around cryptocurrency before they actually allow these stock exchanges to list them. But either way, London is a step ahead of us. All right, some other news here. Samsung, their new Galaxy S10 phone just came out about a month ago, I guess, maybe not even. And they have included a cryptocurrency wallet on the phone. I think I reported on this during the last episode as well. There's all these new phones that have built-in cryptocurrency wallets. I, I can't stress this enough. There's nothing new here. You can download an app from the Play Store or the App Store and have a cryptocurrency wallet on your phone. There's no difference. So I don't understand what the big, unless it's probably a Samsung branded wallet that you'd be putting your cryptocurrency into. Personally, I would just rather download an app and use the app. But Samsung is trying to put the word blockchain or cryptocurrency and stuff that they're selling now in the hopes that they would sell more product because of that. On the same note, I saw an article today that was kind of disgusting and (laughs) really made me shake my head because if if the person really understood what he was doing, I don't think he would have injected himself with this Bitcoin wallet. So there was a guy who injected himself with a Bitcoin wallet and was able to program that Bitcoin wallet to quote-unquote store his Bitcoins. Okay, if we break this down to the technical level, and I've said it before, your your Bitcoins are never taken out of the blockchain. So it doesn't matter where you inject this thing or where you take your hardware wallet. It doesn't matter. The crypto is still in the blockchain. All you are protecting is private keys. Sometimes there's also a passphrase that you have to have. But private keys and a passphrase, if you have those things, you can recover the wallet anywhere regardless if it's embedded in your hand it doesn't matter so if somebody can figure out a way to walk by this guy and read or somehow extract those private keys from this thing that he embedded in his hand boom you got the guy's private keys and guess what you can restore his wallet and take all his money so i I don't really understand why people are so into this hardware wallet thing. If you break it down at a technical level, there is really no benefit. You might as well just print it out on a piece of paper and store it in a safe. There's no difference between doing that or putting it on a hardware device. Sure, the hardware device will encrypt your private keys. Great. Putting it on a piece of paper is probably a little bit archaic, but... It's just as good. You're never taking your coins out of the exchange or out of the blockchain. Always in the blockchain, no matter what you do, no matter what device you put it on. The wallet is simply a way to interact with the blockchain itself. You're not actually storing any Bitcoins on those wallets at all. So keep that in mind when you're looking at these kinds of things. There's also a lot of companies and now banks even that I've seen are starting to offer uh, what they're calling cryptocurrency custody services 
where they are supposedly going to protect your private keys. I don't trust that personally because... You know, what if that... So Coinbase offers this for reference. So they have their custody services and essentially they will take your funds and lock them away to where they can't be extracted. At least that's what they say. But again, if you can get those private keys, you can extract it. Doesn't matter how much protection you have around it. If you get those private keys, I know that's hard. It's not easy to steal private keys. I get that. But no matter what, you can build a freaking fortress around a hardware wallet or, you know, what they call cold storage. It's not going to help. It doesn't make any difference. If I have your public key or private key, I can own your wallet and steal all your funds. So I, I don't really understand this whole custody services. Maybe it's just something that, you know, people are buying into to, they, they feel like it's more safe than keeping it themselves. I guess I could see some benefit in that. But, you know, if Coinbase, somebody at Coinbase decides they're pissed off at their job and they're going to start taking customers' money or embezzling or who knows what, I'm sure that somebody's got access to that custody stuff. It would be shocking if they didn't. So just things to think about when you're going to do that kind of stuff. You also want to, you know, really consider where you're putting your funds, where you're keeping them, especially if they're online. There has been a big movement here recently to keep everything offline or at least off of exchanges, off of web-based wallets. Put it on a wallet that's on your computer. You own your private keys and away you go. So that's still my preferred way to keep my funds safe personally but if you don't trust that you can keep those private keys safe on your own then yeah you can use these custody type of services to help you store that so coinbase this is also what's interesting they're now allowing trading directly from that cold storage or that custody where you're storing your bitcoin or ethereum whatever it is they're now allowing allowing trading directly out of that cold storage. Wait a second here. How is that how is that secure? I'm just baffled here. I don't understand. The whole point of custody was to make sure that it's not touched by anything and now you're opening it up to where you can use it with their exchange. I, I don't I don't quite understand that. And maybe I never will. But a side note, Coinbase also started listing Stellar Lumens. That's a new uh, listing on their pro platform. I have not yet seen it come into the standard wallet uh, just for regular people like me, but they do have Ripple or XRP and Stellar Lumens is coming. That's some good news there from Coinbase. But I would really like somebody to sell me on these hardware wallets and these custody services because I don't I don't quite understand why people would go this route. All you're doing is storing private. That's all you need. Anyway, I can rant for hours on that kind of stuff. But what I'm getting at is don't fall for some sort of high-priced cold storage wallet. Make sure that you're just keeping track of your private keys. You keep them in an encrypted file on your computer or print it out on some paper, whatever it is, keep those private keys to yourself. Make sure they're safe. And you're doing the same thing as these hardware wallets or these custody services. That's all you got to do. Protect your private keys. Don't buy into all the hype. All right, folks, that's all I had for today. I want to thank our sponsor, Southern Graphics T-Shirt Company. They got all kinds of funny stuff on their website. You can also get business T-shirts made if you need that kind of thing as well. Jerseys can be made there as well. And their website is southerngraphicstshirtco.com. Go check 
check them out for all of your t-shirt needs. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll talk again soon.